who's like struggling with something like you struggle with and like an eating disorder like you can say it <laughs> it's not like Voldemort yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to another episode of the Cocktail Party Podcast. It's your favorite podcast that introduces you to a wide variety of topics to sound smart and impress your friends at your next social event. Maybe a cocktail party. Perhaps. Yeah, anything's Perhaps. possible. So today's episode, we took a little uh, detour from uh, some of our previous podcasts. This one is not so much uh, focused on you know what people do for a living, but more so on... How do you want to say it? Life experiences? Yeah, it's more like uh, a life experience. It's uh, actually something that might be useful for you at a cocktail party. So um, uh, we had our good friend Olivia Rosal on. So for Friends of the Pod, she is married to the one and only Nate Rosal, who was on... In episode two. Yes. So Olivia shares a little bit of her story with uh, struggles with mental health. And personally, I, I mean, I went in having one you know, conception of mental health and I walked away with a totally different view. And it, it's a topic that I think is definitely out there right now but people are kind of a little uneasy don't know how to talk about it yeah it's very taboo but it's becoming less taboo as we go forward yeah. and it's important that you know as people are more willing to share the struggles that they're going through that we as uh cocktail party goers are able to like communicate with them in an effective way and like be supportive right. so we wanted to get her opinions she's both a school psychiatrist and she's gone through her own struggles with eating disorders so it's really great to see her perspective from both sides of the coin right so i hope you guys enjoy this uh listening to this as much as we enjoyed talking with olivia and recording this episode as always if you uh like what you hear share it with your friends subscribe give us a rating uh, rating on itunes it really helps us check uh, us out on cocktailpartypod.com as per usual and uh you know, we thank you again for listening to this podcast. We know that there's no shortage of options in the podcast sphere, but we thank you for choosing this one. Let's get to the podcast. All right. Yeah, cheers. cheers. Speaking of your job, yeah. so you're a child psychologist. Uh, school psychologist. School psychologist. Mm -hmm. Okay. What's that like? Yeah. What age life? kids do you work with? I work with birth of 21 and, but currently and for my current job, I'm K through six in two elementary buildings. The district I'm in allows me to have like wear many, many hats, which is like my favorite part of it. My first primary hat is with special education evaluation. So if a parent, a teacher, anyone suspects a disability in a student, that starts the referral process. And me, along with like a team, multidisciplinary team, will do all sorts of different testing. I'm usually in charge of like social and behavioral as well as the cognitive and achievement. So Looking at all of those, those areas, and then we have criteria as to whether or not they meet a verification for special education. And then we come round table with parents and sometimes the student and teachers and everyone on the team to then discuss whether or not they need special education and they would benefit from special okay. education. So that's like my first job. About like how, what percent of your job do you actually spend like interacting with? kids do you think sure so like thankfully again in the district i'm at that the valuations are usually a lot lower so i get to spend a lot more of my time doing small groups with students like i have a group a mindfulness group and there's some individual groups i do like if a child's parents are going through a divorce or if they're going through anxiety or depression whatever it might be and i can work with them one-on-one -on -one or in small groups or if I just have some kiddos who need to learn some social skills. and Yeah. I mean, that's what the podcast is all about, yeah. is learning social skills uh, for cocktail parties. So we, yes. you're the perfect person to teach us, maybe. Yes, right. Maybe. Cocktail parties. Yeah. 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 So how do you see a lot in your role? I mean, I know you said a lot of it is with you know, kind of special ed, but do you see a lot of mental health issues with the kids that you yes. deal with? Absolutely. It's definitely there. I mean, mental health does not... 
is not just affecting adults. It's not affecting just one population. It affects children. It affects all SES, all genders, all races. It's mm-hmm. not a yet. So I do see it a lot in the schools and it can be really difficult to tease apart. Is this behavioral? Is it social? Is it emotional? Is it an academic deficit? Is the kid just not know how to do math? And so they're acting out or they're crying to get out of doing a task mm-hmm. or is something actually going on? Right. So it's a lot of teasing apart. And again, we're a huge part of my job is working with the team, working with the teachers, the parents and whoever else might be involved to really tease that apart. But I, my part as the member of that team is to come in with the knowledge, having the psychological background to be okay. able to decipher. Sure. What are a lot of like the treatment strategies for kids? I'm sure it varies a lot based on... Sure. Yeah. So in a school setting, we're doing a lot of academic interventions, but with that, so, you know, a reading intervention, you know, where you, you sit down with a specialist 30 times or 30 minutes a day throughout the whole week where you're going through a program and you're learning how to read better. That's like how we look on the academic side. We still have the same things put in place for like behavior. So if there's a specific behavior like shouting out in class or crawling around on the floor, I mean, really, you name it, I've probably seen it. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, you know, we teach like, okay, instead of shouting out in class, like we can raise our hand. Instead of shouting out, we can ask the teacher. We Instead of shouting out, we can ask our neighbor for help, like just other replacement skills. So sometimes mm-hmm. it looks like that. Other times if it's a mindfulness group or anxiety or depression, we have lots of packaged interventions that we can do with them. Or, you know, I always like to do evidence-based or research-based interventions with them instead of just sitting around. It's not necessarily we just sit around and chat. It usually has evidence behind what we're doing because I don't want to waste their time or right. my time. Yeah. <laughs> just in general, like, I don't want to say it's more like widespread. I mean, do you think that mental health is affecting more people or do- like that it's on the rise or do you think it's just the fact that people are more aware of it and that there's you know more mindfulness to identifying it that it's just coming to the surface but it's always been there sure prevalence is always really tricky because the prevalence rates we have are just people who who have identified or have come out and said it so we never know the numbers of the people who aren't speaking up and there i do believe within the last few years there has been less stigma put on mental health and it has become more of an issue that people are aware of. And I mean, so-and-so like believe in. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's sometimes people who don't think where they think it's nope, it's just behavior. The kid's doing it on purpose or just suck it up, buttercup or whatever <laughs> it might be. And some people still hold those beliefs. But I really do think that there is so much more awareness and we have, we're teaching kids about it really young too, just emotional awareness, probably things we never got in yeah. school mm-hmm. as kiddos. And so I do think that there is a lot more awareness and a lot more people coming forward with their mental health issues because one, there's more resources and two, less stigma. So whether or not it's an increase in more people with mental health issues or just that people are becoming more acceptable of talking about it, it's hard to say, but I would say probably a reduction of stigma and more resources available. Yeah. And that's one thing we want to obviously do with our podcast is like, make even more people aware of it and make more people feel free to talk about it. Kind of on that note, I guess we can just jump in. Like, do you want to talk about some of your own experiences going through the press? Yeah. I don't even know. How do you like to even label it? Sure. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, ironic with the whole idea of like cocktail party, right? Because it's taboo to talk about mental health. Like, hey, we're at a party. This is fun. Why are you talking about like the fact that you're kind of anxious or sad? Like, Mm -hmm. that's weird. Whereas, is it? You know, it's, it's part of your life. It's what's going on for you. We want to, we want to connect. Usually when we're at a cocktail party, we're there to interact and have fun and enjoy. But also sometimes the best way we do that is probably the closest relationships you have with people are the people you've shared something with that's a little more personal or intimate. And so that's how connection is built. So it's, 
ironic that we avoid those topics at all costs when those topics are in fact what makes us closer. And I have found that through my own experience, I have struggled with anxiety, depression, PTSD, and an eating disorder for quite some time. And I have done a couple rounds in treatment these last few years. And the whole, a lot of the premise behind an eating disorder is how well can you keep it a secret? People finding out about it, like my job is to make sure no one would find out. I would go to all extremes and lengths to make sure that it was a secret and no one knew about it. So this whole idea of telling people and being open about it was the worst nightmare, like worst case scenarios that people would find out. In doing that, I found that people are way more receptive, even something with like an eating disorder. Like it's difficult to understand and not everybody has a ton of knowledge about it, but how compassionate and caring people can be, even though they don't completely understand or have their own experience with it. Is that a fear of like admitting that you have a problem or or that you don't want to stop the activities that you're like engaging in? Totally both, right? So it's like the defensiveness of the eating disorder, like don't you goddamn dare tell me like I have to eat or don't you dare take this away from me yeah um so definitely fear there and like defensiveness to to keep it close because in ways it helps me it protects me it's a coping mechanism Mm -hmm. so it's taking that away is really scary but it also plays into specifically for me in my case my perfectionism right that I in times it felt like a superpower where I was able to do more, achieve more because I was using this eating disorder to suppress all the feelings and emotions I was having that it allowed me just to go, go, go. However, that doesn't work in the long run and eventually it catches up and it becomes something that's life-threatening. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't want to call it like a breaking point, but what was your, let's call it an inflection point. What was your inflection point where you realized like, okay, like I, this needs to change neuroscience <laughs> I was in like neuroscience yes I was in neuroscience my second year of graduate school not my jam and my perfectionistic wanting to do well in this class but like was probably gonna fail it went into overdrive and I don't know if that was act actually it but Mm -hmm. it was really one of those times where I was like oh my gosh this is so challenging and so hard and I was so stressed out and needed my eating disorder more and more but at that time also felt like my eating disorder was broken where like the more and more I gauged my eating disorder usually I could like go into overdrive and learn and overachieve that semester of school I felt like this was just making everything worse everything so much harder that my mood was so off and my eating habits just got worse and worse and I was becoming weak and I couldn't concentrate and just a lot of things were happening physically, emotionally, mentally that felt pretty out of control, which then ironically with eating disorder makes you feel like you need to continue to get more control. Yeah. So it's just this right. vicious cycle of essentially dying and feeling like I'm out of control so I have to do more and more to get control. Mm-hmm. It's good that school was useful for something at least, right? (laughs) (laughs) Neuroscience. That's all I have to think for neuroscience. (laughs) And so with that, I was like, oh, I'm just super stressed out about this school, this Mm. class. Like maybe I just need some free counseling on campus to just get me through a really stressful season. And, And it did help to just see someone on campus. And luckily she was smart enough at the end of it to be like, and here's a referral for eating disorder specialists. From there, I started seeing those who specialize in eating disorders and they were able to quickly point out some red flags and identify things and that treatment was going to be in my near future. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned earlier that all these things, eating disorder, depression, I mean, it's all kind of a taboo subject. I mean, so being, you know, both on the professional side of seeing this in your job and then on the personal side, having to go through it, I mean, I don't want to call it misconceptions, but like, what are some of the things that you've experienced that 
you know, you've gone through that society may view, you know, they may have an, you know, an opinion of it, but it's just totally out of line with yeah, what it's like to actually live that. Sure, something like the myths. Yeah. Or, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Things we don't that's, understand, but sure. we think we do. Sure. So I like to hope, it's sometimes hard to tell because I'm in, in mm-hmm. field, that it's something like depression where maybe want, people want to have the belief of like, oh, they're lazy or they just need to get out of bed and do their thing. And I think there's a little more sensitivity around that. Like, oh, okay, there's like a chemical imbalance and there's a lot going on that makes life really, really difficult. I think there's less awareness around an eating disorder. And sometimes people think like, oh, that's for teenage girls or that's something where people just want to be thin and it's vain. And it's actually none of those things at all. Mm-hmm. It's actually serves at, it serves a function and it's a way of trying to cope. Typically eating disorders will start, their onset will be when there is a triggering event and that can vary for everybody and it could happen at different times. but whether it be sexual abuse or parents divorce or really anything, just more increased pressure at school, or maybe you're in dance or cheerleading or a type of sport that demands more of your physical, more physical activity or you to be like in a smaller body. And also like diet culture too. We're just immersed in that. So there's a lot of things. It's not just one thing that could trigger an eating disorder, but it really rarely has to do with the food in your body. In fact, when I was at treatment for my longest stay, I was there for six, seven, eight, eight months. Yeah. Eight months. And the amount of time we talked about food was like really limited. Really? (laughs) Rarely. We talked about food for meal planning and when we met with our dietitian and otherwise you were talking about like when you were seven and what happened when you were 12 and just a lot of where you got these ideas that you weren't enough or that things were so out of control in your life that you had to start controlling your food and your body Mm -hmm. to make sense of it all. So really does it have to do with the food and the body itself? It's about everything else. And what I have found is that, so if I have, I walk out of a meeting and it was really rough for whatever reason, or I feel like I messed up or it didn't go well, it's so much easier to start counting calories or thinking about my body or thinking about an exercise than it is to think about wow, maybe I'm not good at my job or maybe that person didn't like me. Like those are really hard things to sit with. And Mm -hmm. so like, cool, I have this eating disorder where I can just start thinking about that. I'm not saying that to glamorize it, just saying that's how to make sense of it. But then what happens is I never process and go through what it was like to sit in a difficult meeting. So then I just have a lot more anxiety around that or around those people and just makes everyday life harder and harder and harder because I'm never addressing those issues and relying on the eating disorder to essentially take my mind off of it. Not to trivialize your own struggles or anything, but I'm sure a lot of people after like a meeting, like the one you just described, Mm -hmm. have similar feelings about, you know, it didn't go well, a person didn't like me, I messed up. Mm -hmm. Uh, Are there any coping strategies that you uh, you learned that you you would be willing to share? Sure. So a lot of that is, I mean, I would love to give like quick tips, but a lot of it is the difference between shame and guilt. So let's say the three of us are in a meeting and, you know, we get our asses handed to us from our boss, all three of us do. Probably happens to John quite often. That's a separate podcast. That's a separate <laughs> podcast. Well, we can have a session later. <laughs> so we all three walk out and, you know, one of you might say, you know, man, like I dropped the ball. Sure. Like that could have gone better. And, you know, I messed up. Yeah. Whatever. And I'll, I'll do a better job. And my my work wasn't enough. And I walk out and say, I wasn't enough. Mm. I I, because I am innately bad and innately stupid and innately bad at this job. No wonder I messed up. Of course I messed up. I should have known this meeting was going to go well because why would it go well for me? I'm inherently just not a good person and bad at what I do. So for you, it's easy to say, okay, 
didn't go well. I learned from this. Here's yeah. what I need to do different next time. And I'm stuck in this spiral of I'm a horrible person. And that's really, really hard to come out of without some yeah. deeper work of like, who told you that? Like, who told you that when you make a mistake that you as a person are bad rather than a mistake being bad? Right. So you might go into guilt. You feel bad about what you did. I feel bad about who I am. So that takes a lot more deeper work yeah. to just figure out where that's sure. from. Right. Today's episode of the Cocktail Party Podcast is inspired by Lagunitas Lil Something Something Ale. Cam, tell us about the ale. Well, it's very delicious. It's a way smooth and silky with a nice weedy-esque-ishness. A truly hoppy, uh, unique style featuring a strong hop finish with a silky body. And uh, a lot of weird shit on the bottle that they decided to print on there. Yeah. Some story about how we're all on collective disability, keeping ourselves elevated on ice. I think they had a few too many of these when they were making the label. Yeah, but I don't know what they're up to in Petaluma, California, but uh, go ahead and stop by your local store and grab yourself a Lagunitas. All right, cheers. cheers. We're just gonna talk about some cocktail party stuff sure. now. Let's, go to the party. let's, yeah, let's go to the party. Uh, if, are there different reactions from different people if they ever find out yeah. something like this while you're talking to them? Are, there, are they like empathetic or are some people like show pity or anything like sure, that? Sure, right. That's that's a really good question. So it it does vary. I've been over, very, very overwhelmed with how much compassion and gracious, like how gracious people mm-hmm. have been and how understanding people have been. And even just people saying like, I have no idea what that's like or I never met anybody with what you're going through but I'm sorry, like, how can I help? I, that's generally the reaction I do get, which in my head, when I play it out before I say it, is that they'll reject me. Yeah. They're going to think I'm a loser or stupid or sensitive or dramatic, or they're not going to believe me because another big part or myth about eating disorders is you have to look the part, you know, that we have this very specific idea of what an eating disorder looks like and it's emaciated body, which mm-hmm. that is not true at all. You can have an eating disorder at any weight, uh, overweight, normal weight or below, and Usually people think like, oh, well, you know, she has these odd behaviors, but she doesn't look like she has an eating disorder, so she can't, which is so, so, so not true. And also people with eating disorders hold that same belief that, well, if I come out and say I have an eating disorder, no one's actually going to believe me because I don't look like that. And there's a lot of shame tied to that because there's almost this expectation that you're supposed to have this dramatic weight loss, which really doesn't happen all too often. That's a very small percentage of people who are emaciated. Sure. And very sick like that. The majority of people are not. So some other reactions I get. Um, so def- sometimes people definitely say the wrong things. <laughs> yeah. What, what are some of the wrong sure. things? So everyone knows what right not now to say. can never ever say those <laughs> yeah. things. Like um, the comparison game. And I think this goes for like any mental health. So like, you know, I've been struggling with eating disorder. Like, oh, well, my cousin, you know, she had an eating disorder. But, oh, God, she was way skinnier than you. Or, you know, she was like emaciated. Yeah. And so like that's comparison okay, well, game. Like, well, like, yeah, you're right. You're right. I don't have a problem. You're right. It's nothing. And so it just really invalidates the fact that I could be struggling and I could be struggling immensely. Mm-hmm. So any terms of comparison or even like depression, even like, yeah, I've been really down, really upset. Like, oh yeah, well my dad, he struggled with that and he couldn't even get out of bed, but look at you, you look great, yeah. you know? So really any comparison that never feels good yeah. anyway. And I think everyone's probably had some experience with that. And it's like, okay, so I guess this isn't worth talking about. Yeah. Yeah. You know? almost, I get the sense it almost invalidates what you're going through. Absolutely. If I'm not struggling more than somebody else, right. then there's a finite amount of struggle and someone else is struggling more. So my struggle yeah. doesn't. Right. Or like the whole idea of like there's kids starving in Africa, like using that is sure it's like perspective taking and like Mm -hmm. has its time and place. But at the same time, it's like, well, what I'm feeling right now is really real and it's painful and it's and it's hurtful. And I don't 
you don't deserve to go through that alone. Yeah. And you don't deserve for that to just go by the wayside simply because someone else has a worse. Because guess what? Someone's always going to have a worse. So right. that game, you always lose at that game. Yeah. So why play it? Right. So I, you know, let's say you do meet somebody at mm-hmm. a cocktail party who has that, but they're not, you know, at that stage where they're, you know, they've recognized it or they're willing to admit it. You know, let's say you just have, you know, an, a hunch that somebody's depressed or anxious mm-hmm. or whatever it is. What are ways that, you found to be helpful that, you know, if we broached it, because you know, most people, I'm sure if you say, hey, are you good? Like, yeah, I'm fine. And then you just move on. But without like, you know, being overbearing ways that you can address that if you think it's going on with somebody, you know. Yes, that's huge. And it, yeah, it could be with any mental health issue. I will say that after my last relapse, I did get really sick. And in coming back or when people found out I was in treatment, it was extremely hurtful to actually hear people say like, yeah, like I wondered, or I worried about you, or I thought something was wrong, but I just didn't want to say anything. And in ways I was like, you almost like were watching me die, but didn't say anything, you know? And Mm. then in my head, it kind of goes to like, do, well, do people actually really care then if they don't care enough to have an awkward conversation with me? Am I really that important? And you know, that's also in my disordered mind too, but you could see how like if someone really cares about me, they're going to sit through like a maybe awkward conversation or maybe sit through and say the wrong thing, but it's better than saying nothing at all. Like I will say that. And so sometimes approaching it is just like sometimes pointing out examples. So let's say it's been, you know, depression, like, Hey man, like I've realized you haven't been around a lot or, mm-hmm. you know, you used to be play- playing soccer with us every Thursday and like you haven't been coming around. Like, is everything going okay? Like I know work's been really stressful for you. What's going on? And just, sure. I really just asking questions of the person and yeah, everyone's like, oh yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It's super busy. No big deal. But almost like inviting them into this conversation of like, no, 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 it, it's okay. Like we, we can go there mm-hmm. and just creating a space where they can be vulnerable. And sometimes pulling on your own experiences at that point is helpful. Like, you know, I was feeling that way too, or, you know, I kind of lost interest in a lot of things I was once enjoying. And, you know, it wasn't until a couple months later that I realized you know, I actually was depressed or this was going on with me. And I, I just don't know if that's what you're going through right now mm-hmm. too. Yeah. And so just kind of being vulnerable with them. I always like to say vulnerability begets vulnerability. So mm-hmm. sometimes when you open up some about something, they feel like the safety of like, okay, this is, this is a trusted thing. Right. Cool. But so to your point, I mean, it's almost like, you know, I know South Park made a big joke about like this, the whole safe space thing, but like creating a, mm-hmm. like, you know, a safe space, an environment that you feel secure and you don't feel judged and right and sometimes you know i imagine if i came to one of you and was like guys i have an eating disorder you might be like uh and sometimes just saying like hey i i'm really afraid of saying the wrong thing right now or i really don't know how to respond to you but like i hear you i care and i want to help you i mean those are easy things you can always say that makes the person feel like okay you know because sometimes it's this buildup of like okay i'm gonna say it i'm gonna say it or by the time someone says something they've thought about it They've attempted so many times and the fact that they're finally saying something takes an immense amount of courage and then to be met with silence on the other end can just be so painful because in your mind you're like, I knew it. I knew I should have, I shouldn't have said anything. I knew this was ridiculous. I knew no one would believe me. So sometimes just being met with like, that sounds like a lot. That's super helpful to just say, I understand what you're saying and like I, anything you need, I am here to support Mm -hmm. you. So just being really positive and helpful. Yeah. That's good advice. And it's always okay to say, I, I don't know what this is like and I don't really know what to say and I don't want to say the wrong thing. That's, at least for me personally, that's always been my biggest roadblock when stuff like this comes up is because you you want to show somebody that you care, but 
I mean, kind of like you, like I want, you know, I don't, not, not quite a perfectionist, but like you, you're just so afraid of screwing up and saying the wrong thing that you just choose to say nothing and then keeps you up at night. You're like, God, I should have said something. You just, you don't know that first step. Right. Exactly. And that's, again, kind of the interesting part about being at a cocktail party because this is usually the time we're interacting and we like to think like, keep it light, keep it easy, but we've all got stuff going on, you know, everyone's got their things and yeah, it's, you don't want to turn into like crisis cocktail party, but after a couple beers, you know, you're maybe a little (laughs) more receptive to like share some things are going to. Right. And also following up. So let's say it is just kind of like a, you're both drunk and something slips out that something's going wrong. Following up the next day, just like a quick text of like, Hey, you know, like if you want to talk about that more, I, I'm open to that. Or, you know, you seemed really distraught last night. If, mm-hmm. if you need to check in, like I'm here for you. That That's huge because sometimes the person who has opened up about what's going on can go home and be like, I'm an idiot. Yeah. I should have never said anything. And then sure. just beats this, themselves up. And then getting a reassuring text or message later of like, hey, I'm still here with you in it can just alleviate all of like just be a huge relief. Yeah. It sounds like it's like a huge barrier there's like a barrier to sharing with other people. So I assume like making it as easy for them as possible. Like, hey, you mm-hmm. said something last night. Like, let's go grab a beer. Or let's go totally. have some food or something. So they don't have to plan or do anything. It's just like they just have to say yes and show up. And then you guys can talk about it. So it's as easy for them as possible. Sometimes even the wording. Like, hey, if you want, I'm here. Other than like, I'm free tomorrow. Want to get coffee. Or I'm free on next Friday, like, want to hang out again. So saying, like, instead of just, like, oh, like, if you need me, because it's hard to yeah. keep reaching right. out. It's real. I mean, how courageous that person was to say something in the first place. Right. And then if you on your end could be, like, hey, I'm free these days when you want to meet up again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And right. then that person. I mean, almost like forcing their hand a little bit. Right, right. In, a, in a, like, a very supportive, meaningful way. And, mm-hmm. that, you know, they might retract to be, like, ugh. Sorry, like I like I, I said too much, and just being like, hey, well, like I'm here when you want to talk about it, and like I'm definitely open when you are ready to mm-hmm. to talk about it with you. This is all super helpful and super insightful. Yeah. I mean, because it's I mean, it's such a like we said earlier. I mean, it's a taboo topic, but it's something that definitely needs to be addressed. And the only way I feel that I mean, we'll be able to make positive progress is to have this kind of insight know how to know how to make that first step yeah no one comes out unscathed right right. so it's it's everyone's got something and Mm -hmm. uh, we might not have the exact same things as each other but we can all relate we all have feelings we can all relate to the feelings of grief and sadness and hopelessness and all and overwhelm so it's not like a lot of times when people are struggling with mental health they feel like they are alone in it and that they're the only ones experiencing it and the relief they can find is of someone else just saying like me too is just sometimes all that person needs Mm -hmm. If someone like say was listening to this and one like what would, and was maybe struggling with mental mm-hmm. you know health problems like what would be a, a good first step would it be reach out to like a therapist or reach out sure. to a friend or anything Yeah, I think one thing I want to emphasize is it doesn't have to be bad enough. I think we have that standard in our culture too of like, well, I'm maybe maybe not have anxiety, maybe maybe not depressed. I have some eating issues, but like it's not that bad. Like people go to therapy when they're falling apart and they lost their job, but not true at all. Mm-hmm. There is you'd be shocked the number of people that you probably work with that go to therapy on a regular basis and you don't have to have this glaring issue you don't have to have some story to go to therapy it can be if you're just distraught or distressed in any any area of your life like you deserve support and help and so always reaching out to a therapist is always a great first step but sometimes we feel more comfortable just reaching out to a friend and unfortunately sometimes people won't know 
the right things to say. Not everyone's going to listen to this podcast. <laughs> and so sometimes people don't say the right things. And so I just encourage people who are struggling with mental health, keep trying. Mm-hmm. You know, just because one person gives you a reaction that's not so attuned doesn't mean that there aren't other people out there who will be willing to listen and to, and to care and to support you in it. And it might take some coaching too, like the person who does have mental health concerns. And it doesn't even have to be a diagnosed mental health concern, just some hard things going on in life to be able to say, hey, I don't need you to fix me. I don't need you to solve my problem. I just need you to listen. And sometimes that frees up the other person just to be like, okay, I don't have to be thinking 10 steps ahead of what I'm going to say and what advice I'm going to give. And, and I don't have to that. fix the problem. I don't have to right. fix the problem. And I'm not expecting you to be a therapist here. It's just I'm wanting someone to listen. Sure. And there's no requirements for therapy. Like you have to be suffering this much and be this bad. It, yeah. it, you don't have to be sick enough. There is no sick enough. And sometimes if you wait to the point to get sick enough, it might be too late or you might need more than just therapy at that point. So use it as a preventative measure too, if you need to. The equivalent of like, you know, if you're feeling sick and you wait until two, then you're in the ER and it's like, well, absolutely. It might be too late. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's a good analogy. For, so for anybody that's listening that might be struggling or knows someone that's struggling, are there any resources out there that you've run into through your experiences that you would feel would be a good first step as far as just, right? you know, if you don't feel comfortable opening up to somebody, but just, you know, whether it's a book or online or... Oh, sure, sure. So there are some really great therapy options in Omaha, and it really depends on what you're struggling with as to how good those resources are or how saturated those resources can be. And that would come down to more of a person to person, like who the referral would go to for a certain therapist. And, you know, something with therapy, the whole idea of like trying again with friends, you kind of have to keep trying again with therapy. I always say give it three times with Mm -hmm. a therapist, unless something is glaringly wrong, give it three times because the first session is just going to be awkward and give it two more shots after that. And it might not be a good fit. And that's okay. That doesn't mean like, oh, I knew it. Therapy is not going to help me. It's not a good thing. Mm -hmm. You just have to keep trying around till you do find a good fit. And there's nothing wrong with that. Therapists also understand that too, that sometimes they're not the best fit for people and they can handle that. Also for eating disorders, a podcast I love is Food Psych. Christy Harrison does it. And it's just an amazing podcast about health at every size and body acceptance, body positivity, intuitive eating. And she does a really phenomenal job of like debunking diet culture and just totally knocking it on, on its head and just giving like a whole different perspective about like food and bodies and our culture. Uh, another one I love is Reco- Recovery Warriors. It does focus more on eating disorders. And there's tons of options out there. Like even on Instagram, sometimes people will tell me like their Instagram is flooded with depressing things. Like if you're single and you're saying people get married and have babies, like throw on whatever is like interesting to you. Like maybe you love art, like download some or follow some people who are really into art. And for me, like I follow a lot of like beating eating disorders or ed bites and websites like that. So when I'm seeing a bunch of people at the beach, I'm also seeing a lot of like positive recovery messages as well. And that's an easy, subtle way to bring some of that positivity into your new stream. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't even think about that, but that's... You want to ask the book, book question? Yeah, so I mean, even outside of, you know, whether it's eating disorder or whatever, what's just the last book you read for fun or any book that you've read recently that you recommend other people pick up sure i right now i'm reading into the water which i'm just starting it's good it has nothing to do with eating disorders it's like murder mystery like murder mystery okay like people drown in this river and die all the time so but that's just i just like reading that stuff but the last recovery book i the one i just finished was 
from uh, by Brene Brown, The Gifts of Imperfection, an incredible read, incredible. And it's not specific to eating disorders, but man, it was, I swear she wrote my life story down in this book. <laughs> and she just, uh, Brene Brown's a researcher of, she researches shame and vulnerability and some like really like un, like not fun topics. Sure. And she really sheds some light on them in a way that just feels so freeing. Mm-hmm. And you read her work and you're just like, wow, like there is a different way. And I just absolutely love her book. I'm actually reading it the first time. The first time it pissed me off. because I was like, no, I'm not believing this. You're wrong. Yeah. I can live my life this way and be just fine. And so I'm reading it a second time with like, okay, I can listen now. I'm, I have a more open mind. Yeah. It's, an, it's a really great read. Anything by Brene Brown, I would highly recommend. Okay. Good to know. Okay. Well, uh, Olivia, is there anywhere, if someone wanted to reach out maybe for advice or help just to say hi, is there a place on the internet people can reach you? Sure. On Instagram, I'm Olivia M. Babe. I'm Cameron. You can reach me at Cam Keefe on Twitter. And uh, I'm Sean Gill, and you can reach me at SeanGill13 at Twitter and Instagram. Nice. Well, hey, Olivia, thank you so much for coming Absolutely. out today. We, I think this was like maybe our most significant contribution to podcast. I, I, I would I would agree. I mean, appreciate you. I mean, I know this stuff isn't always easy to talk about, but I really appreciate you coming on and being open and willing to be vulnerable. And, and hope you, hopefully it's easier for everyone else to talk about it going forward. Yeah. Sometimes it just takes one person to say, put it out there and then it's like, okay, okay, I can do that too. And it's it's not so bad. And hey, we're still friends, right? We're yeah, good. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah, all right. Yeah. But I feel like, you know, 40, 50 years down the road when mental health is so widespreadly accepted, they're going to look back to this episode and it's going to be because of Olivia. Started here. It's right here. (laughs) That was the turning point. Thank Thank you you so much. And we'll do the intro. Someone someone needs to tell that plane. Land your plane. It's quiet out. (laughs)